project. Now you see in the first century a lot of concern the brethren had for each other. In Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 6, the Jerusalem brethren were even selling property and houses and giving the money and sharing it with their brethren who had need. Uh, you see that when Paul got together with the leaders of the Jerusalem church, they uh, gave him the right hand of fellowship, but in Galatians 2.10 they just asked one thing, remember the poor. And you see Paul then in 1 Corinthians 16, Romans 15, and here working on collecting money from churches in Galatia, in Macedonia, and here in Achaia, to take back to Jerusalem for the needy saints there. So this is the this is the subject matter. I believe it's the same collection he makes reference to then in First Corinthians sixteen, uh, in in Romans fifteen, and maybe one verse in Acts twenty four seventeen. So chapter eight verses one to five. Well, Paul's in Macedonia, right? That's where he met Titus. So he's right there among those Macedonian churches. By the way, have you noticed how Paul has a uh, tendency to speak of the name of the province, not the name of the cities? We do that all the time. You know, I'll talk about, oh, you're from Kentucky. You know, you're from Tennessee. A lot of times I may not say you're from, you know, a specific city or burg or whatever. And so, but for us, it's kind of like, uh, the Church of Macedonia, what was that? So what were the Church of Macedonia we know about? Who were they? Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Those were the three we know about in Macedonia. It helps if you make that connection. So that's where he was. He, he says, I want to tell you about the grace of God which has been given in these churches. It's interesting that Paul talks about money for two chapters and never talks about money. Never mentions money. You know, he mentions the grace of God which was given. Isn't that remarkable? And uh, he says, these Macedonians, wow. He says, uh, in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty... Overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. These guys were really poor and generous. Have you noticed how often the poorest of the people are the most generous? Paul warns a lot in his writings about greed and the danger of riches. But there were three letters written to the Macedonian churches. Right? Philippians, first and second Thessalonians. I don't read any warnings about riches in any of those three letters. These were poor brethren, poor churches. But he says, they, their abundance of joy. So these poorest of churches were very joyful. And their poverty led them to giving according to their ability, beyond their ability. That's, that's pretty good. Give beyond your ability. You know, they gave of their own accord. They, 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 they were worried about the fact that they had so little, they just wanted to give so much. They gave more than they could. He said, they begged us with much urging for the favor of the participation of the board of the saints. You know, they, they begged us to participate. You know, I suspect Paul, knowing their, you know, underprivileged economic situation, he was probably reluctant to ask them to help. You know, you hate to ask somebody who's really poor. I mean, we do that even, you know, every once in a while we need to, you know, kind of get some money for something or other. You know, who do you ask? We don't ask the guy you know is just living hand to mouth. Guy who's making barely more than minimum wage with a family and whatever. You don't ask him. You know, you'd ask somebody you know is pretty comfortable and got some money left over and it's not going to be a big deal. So Paul's like almost surprised by their eagerness and their generosity. Those who could least afford it were begging Paul to give them the favor of being able to have a part in this enterprise. I do think we fail to see the favor and the blessing in that most of the time, right? You know, 
they, this was a privilege that they insisted that Paul give them the right to share it. Some of those things just kind of blow your mind when you realize they're asking him and begging him, let us give money. And, uh, and they did it of their own accord. Like, this is, they, they were, they were the ones that pushed on this, not Paul. And, uh, and they, and they first gave themselves, which really, if God has a person's heart, he's got their resources too. I mean, that's the key. Once he has you, giving your stuff is nothing. The problem is we don't give ourselves. And, and, and we need more spirit of generosity. I, I, I use this illustration. I've probably done this with several of you, but it's one of the few times that this really impacted me. There was a situation years ago in Brazil where there were three men in one church who owned very small furniture manufacturing factories. Factory is glorified. Um, mostly making tables, high-end tables. That they wholesaled through a guy. Most, well, all three of them used the guy's son. They've been using it for years. And they would give him post-dated checks, like four months later. He would wholesale them to furniture stores. So he's kind of the middleman. And uh, so... I was going to be going to Brazil like on Friday, I think. And on Monday, I found out about the need. This guy had gone belly up, left these guys over the Christmas rush where they had a lot of money that, you know, they had a lot of checks in their hand that were worthless. So they couldn't even pay their employees and their employees were almost all brethren. So they really needed some help. Interest rates in Brazil make American credit card interest rates look like child's play. It's ridiculous. Just absolutely. I mean, I don't even know, but I think they were looking at like 70% a year interest or something like that. You know, so just almost, you know, horrible. And so, long story, but basically, I, I told brethren, mostly in the church where I was, about the need. On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was leaving on Friday. And it was amazing. Because, really, it was a pretty poor church by American standards. And I left on Friday with like $7,500 in my hand for those brethren. And one of the brothers who gave, he, he gave, on Wednesday night at church, he gave me an envelope. I went home and opened up that envelope. I pulled out $2,100 bills. And he was not doing well. He didn't. He was really underemployed. And I knew he didn't have enough money. And I called him. I said, you can't give all this. He said, when my mother-in-law died, we got a small inheritance. And my wife and I have been praying for an opportunity like this. And there was another brother who gave me $300. He said, if you get over there, and you find out they need more. You let us know, I'll sell a car. Now, he had a car to sell. But he would have sold a car and given more. That's the spirit. I wish we had more opportunity to do that. I, I really think, who wants to be poor? But I really think it'd be a blessing to us if, if we just had more need. And we just, we, we suffered more financially. And we had to just join together. And we needed to help each other more. It's probably not helpful to us that we're so prosperous. But but you appreciate the attitude of these brethren. And, you know, I mean, they just revealed their heart. They were just so eager to, to share in this. It's just, it, it's not the money. It's the heart. Wow. Just want to sacrifice more so they can serve others more. They've never, they've never seen these these. Jerusalem brethren. I mean, it's one thing to give your best friend who you love dearly. It's another thing to give somebody you don't even know. They're not even the same race. These were mostly Gentiles given to Jews. So the, uh, their attitude, wow, it is the grace of God. God's grace had transformed these people's hearts. Thoughts and comments? Eric. Amen. Yeah. Shows the evidence of God's grace in your life. Amen. Right. So you said Paul did not ask them to give 
I mean, he says they were begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and support of the saints. Looks to me like they're the ones asking Paul and begging him to let them give. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Awesome. I work for a nonprofit that 70% of the people who were there were the highest donors, the, the poorest of, of those who, who worked at the place. And they were all low vision or blind individuals who realized the benefit of the company that they worked for. And so while they were making nineteen dollars to $20,000 a year, some of them were giving over 50% of that back to the company because they valued the company, they valued their employment at this company because they thought, I couldn't do this anywhere else. Do we value our, our relationship with God so much that, that we have that same attitude of giving it all to Him, giving it to, to His needy saints the way that these individuals did? I think we'd be willing to think about it in that way. Yeah, the more we treasure what God's done for us, the more generous we'll want to be. Now, you see again how this is the imprint of God's grace in their hearts and lives. Okay. How about 6 to, uh, six to 12? generosity of the Corinthians and there's several points he makes in verse 6 they previously made a beginning he wants them to complete it you know they, they need to they need to follow through on what they started they were really eager to begin they, they were very you know anxious to do this it's easier to be anxious to do something when you're not doing it than when you have to start doing it you notice that we plan to do it. We plan to do well. We we have this goal. You know, I'm going to do this. We do that all kind of stuff. I'm going to I'm going to read the Bible. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this and this and this, and we feel great. We don't do the first day, but we felt great because we planned it. You know, because we were ready to. It's easy to feel good when we've got a plan. It's a whole lot harder to fulfill it, to carry it out, to carry it through. That's what he's saying. Complete it. That was a great plan. You had a great, great start. Now, keep going. On verse 7. You abound in everything else. Compliment your excellence in other areas by doing well in this area. You know, you do well in faith, utterance, knowledge, earnestness, love. Don't lack be lag behind in generosity. And he says in verse 8, so are they not commanding this? I mean, you know, can you command a generous heart? You can command somebody to give you money, but not willingly. And so he's not playing the authority card. You know, again, he's pretty sensitive to this accusation. He domineers their faith anyway. And, and really, boy, it, 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 you know how parents are. You know, I, I told somebody the other day, this is so true for me. You know, we read books before we got married about raising children. I thought about raising children. I watched people raise children. I was a child that was raised. You know, all this. Uh, so you got all these plans in your mind. And I remember my children are born and, okay, this is what they're going to be like. This is what we're going to do. Now, it's pretty tough at first. You've got to train them. You've got to discipline them. And you got to, you know, but okay. That's a phase you have to go through. It's part of it. So, I mean, I understood, you know, 
there was going to be some disobedience and rebelliousness and you know you'd have to reprove and, and even uh, physically punish and so forth but but you know you could mold them and shape them it got to, they were about 10 or 12 when it started dawning on me wait a minute <laughs> there's more in this than just what I have decided they're going to be like I'm not going to be able to control that I mean I could at 10 or 12 or even 18 I could make them do something or not do something my children did obey me but I couldn't make them want to I couldn't change their hearts I, you know I mean you realize wow that there's, there's a lot more to this than just giving orders because giving orders doesn't really change them and uh you know, it's hard when you're raising young Christians, I'm saying now spiritually, because, man, it's insecure to let go of the bike and let them ride on their own. You know, you want to keep holding on to it, holding on to it, holding on to it, holding on to it. But, but if they're ever going to learn how to ride it, one day you just got to let them go. And, and Paul had to kind of let these guys go. He, he wasn't going to give them an order. You better get this much or else. He, he, he wasn't going to do that. I mean, there's a time when we've got to let our brethren go and let them decide for themselves. We encourage the right attitude, but we're not going to order it. And uh, he, he says he wants them to prove the sincerity of their love. You know, love is proven by what it causes us to do, not what it causes us to feel. You know, talk's cheap. If you really love, it shows up in the checkbook. That's kind of the idea that he said. And he, then he uses Jesus. But you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that was an understatement. Though he was rich, wow. That needs to be in, you know, 24 bullet type and bold and, you know. Rich? Wow. How rich was he? Think about being God in heaven. I don't think rich is the word. I don't know what it would be. But we need a we need a way, way stronger word than that. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. I'll tell you that word's not adequate either. You talk about what Jesus did, I don't think poor gets the job done. And again, I don't know what word you need. But I mean, Jesus' example. No one was richer, no one became poor. He gave of himself in every way to make us rich. Sharing material resources with other needy believers is a drop in the bucket compared to what Jesus did. Think about how much he sacrificed. So Jesus impoverished himself to enrich us. He served to free us. He descended to exalt us. He was despised to glorify us. And he died so that we could live. You think about what Jesus did. How much he gave for us. So much of what you see in a strong disciple's life is the reflection of Jesus. It is us taking Jesus into our heart and living him. Good motivations to give generously. And he says, you've just been so eager at first. He says, you were the first to want to had great intentions. Now get your actions in line with your desires. Quit dragging your feet. Make up the pace. You know, finish it. That's the only command in here, imperative form, verb in verse 11. Uh, you know, and he says, I appreciate this, the re- if the readiness is present, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. You know, the smallest gift is, is, gift is greater than the most magnificent intention. And God evaluates us based upon what we have. You know, when, when we do what we can with what we've got, that's exactly what he wants. So, he's willing, he's using a lot of different approaches to encourage generosity. Or maybe to state it the opposite way, to overcome stinginess. 
you know, covetousness, greed. Because that's really what happens. I mean, wouldn't we all theoretically like to give a lot? But I want this, but I need that, but I can't give this. You know, in theory, yes. In practice, I think about all the other things I want to do with that money. Thoughts and comments. Yes. Yeah, yeah, when they had, they had to ask him to stop giving for the tabernacle because they were bringing too much. <laughs> that just almost seems unbelievable, doesn't it? You, it reminds me of when Mary anointed Jesus with that, like, incredibly expensive perfume. Like, I didn't know they made perfume that expensive, but they tell me they do. But you assume if it's, you know, several thousand dollar bottle of perfume, a drop will do. <laughs> You know, and she just breaks the bottle and pours it all over him. Why? I do not recall any command of the Lord to perfume him. You know, I don't think she was doing it because Jesus ordered her to. What was she doing? She loved him. Think about what does a guy who is just madly in love with his girlfriend do for her? Just as little as he can buy with. No way. He wants to make her happy. He'll do anything possible to make her happy. Whatever it takes, however expensive it might be, if he can get a hold of the money, he's going to spend it. You know, it's love. So, great example for us. You know, you see see the Macedonians, you see the people with the tabernacle, and some of those things just really, you know, just really admire that, and you really want to be like that. Other thoughts? This isn't only money, too. This is our time. This is our energy, our effort. You know, that we, we so often in America, I think, think just, here, here's, a, here's my check. I've got to serve you, Lord. But this is, this is everything that they could give to Yes, because they first gave themselves. Then everything else is, is automatic. We've not given ourselves so often. that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an, in, by, by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance may also supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. So what is our excuse for not giving more? Isn't it that we might need it later? You never know. There might be a rainy day. I might lose my job. You know, this might happen, that might happen. So we hoard things up just in case. Paul says, this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of, way of equality. He said, now your abundance supplies their need. Then their abundance will supply your need, so there'll be equality. So this is kind of God's insurance plan. You give when you've got the abundance, they'll give back when they've got the abundance. Instead of hoarding things up to take care of ourselves and make sure we're self-sufficient and we can handle whatever storm, no give. And then God will see to it that you receive if you need it. Now, it's the equity or equality principle. So there's several things that we could say about that. One is that churches... Give money to other churches when the receiving church is in need, when there's not inequality. 
You do not read in the Bible of a super church assuming some great work and asking for all the little churches around it to give it money to do this super project. This is giving from the churches in abundance to the church in need. Not giving from the churches in need to this church of abundance so they can oversee everything. That's not what the Bible says. It is, it is biblically right, obviously, I hope we understand this, for churches to give money to other churches when the receiving church is in need. I think that means when they have a benevolent need that they cannot supply. So, if there's a church that has a, a benevolent situation, they have their needy brethren, they can't handle that, then it's right for churches to send money to that church for that need. Um, but now, you know, so he keeps talking about, you know, equality and, you know, their abundance, your need, and vice versa, and all that. And he, and he quotes even the manna, like, if you gathered much, you didn't have too much, you gathered little, you had to, you know, write them out. So, that God wants equality. But, you know, there would be a lot simpler way for God to provide equality. Why didn't he just give everybody the same amount? Or if, if not that, why didn't he give everybody what they need? Maybe they don't all need the same amount, so why didn't he just give everybody what they need? And then, you know, I have to have this giving and receiving business. Well, it looks to me like that God did it the way he did it because he wanted some people to have the blessing of giving, and he wanted some people to have the blessing of receiving. Looks to me like that's the idea. God's the one who provided this opportunity. There is a blessing when I need to give. It helps me to be generous. It is good for me to make sacrifices. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I know that's hard to believe. But it is. There's a blessing in receiving. It helps me. Makes me realize I'm not self-sufficient. I can't do all this on my own. I don't want to get, I don't want to take anything from anybody. I don't want anybody to do anything for me. I'm going to do it all for myself. That is not a good attitude. That is not humble. That is not biblical. I don't care if we're talking about money or anything else. This idea I want to be self-sufficient. I just want to do everything for myself. No. God gave us a need sometimes. And he gave some other people an abundance sometimes. Now, James 5 talks about the rust on the gold and silver, which is a paradox. Because gold and silver don't rust. So you're drawing attention to it. The rust is going to be a witness against them that they were hoarding up what God gave them. God doesn't want us to hoard. He wants us to share. He wants us to give. I, I might say this. In churches, we struggle with this. Like... So there's an opportunity, there's a need. And what do we say? Do we have the money? Well, do we have the money over and above all the money we need to make sure if the rainy day comes? Do, but do we have the money? No, that's not the question of the first century. Is there a need? Then let's give to the need. Now, do we have the money? Let's give the money if, if there's the need. That's not the biblical concept. This idea of, well, we just don't have the money. Well, then, then get more. I mean, you know, we present it wrong. It's like, okay, what if there was an opportunity to help? Then why don't we present that to the brethren and say, look, here's an opportunity. You know... We did that one time at New Salisbury that was very helpful years ago. I was going to Brazil, and the church had no money in the treasury, but they wanted to send it. And so the brethren talked about it, and they put a basket up somewhere. And they basically said, if you want to help Gary go to Brazil, then just put money in that basket for the next three weeks. And like one family decided to give up eating meat for the month, and give the money they would have spent on that to help them go to prison. They didn't have extra money. But they could sacrifice something and give. It was a great opportunity. You know, so the idea is that well, we don't have the money. The idea is, okay, well, there's a, there's a need, then we'll give to them. Uh, we just have to have more of that. We're always we're so worried about security. Oh, so, well, we got to we got to keep this back and that back. Who knows about that? Who knows about that? I just don't see that I don't think that's the concept. All right, thoughts and comments.
چلو Yes. Yes, absolutely. In Second Samuel 24, David, it's really not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost you anything. And he understood that even though Arana was willing to give him the threshing floor and the animals, he wanted that plague stopped. It was right there by him. But David said, no, I'm going to pay for it. And you see how pathetic it was. In Jesus' day, when they exploited that widow, and yet the rich people gave just of their abundance. You know, we're, we're like that a lot of times. We expect poor people to give a lot, but we don't expect to have to give. And uh, Jesus condemning the scribes there in that context for devouring widows' houses. That's exactly what they've done with that poor woman. And uh, we can be like that. Chris? Well, that's our next question is exactly how much do they need and what they need for, you know, Yeah, right. That's a good point. Yes. Well, we wouldn't want to give any more than was absolutely necessary, you know. That could be bad. Uh, you know, so yeah, good point. Obviously, as receivers, we don't want to exploit. And Paul would make the point in Second Thessalonians 3, if somebody refuses to work, they shouldn't eat. But he turns right around in Second Thessalonians 3, after encouraging them to reprimand and even withdraw from bums who just wanted the church to support them. He turns around and says, but as for you, brethren, this is Second Thessalonians 3.13, do not grow weary of doing good. You may have been taken advantage of somewhere along the line, but keep generously doing good. What if I needed to sacrifice a little bit more? And what if somebody had something that they didn't absolutely have to have? I have a whole lot of things I don't have to have. We ought to have the spirit of generosity. You know, if I, if, I, if I love the Lord and I want to give, then I look for opportunities. You know, it's like when I see a need, well, they haven't asked for anything yet. Do they need? I, I don't know the Jerusalem brethren asked, but there was a need and we want to help. What, what, isn't it good when we're proactively giving and not just waiting for somebody to say, you know, I, you know, I can't eat. Well, okay, now that you ask, I'll put, you know, so, good point. Right. So you would not be in favor of a congregation like making sure they always have this certain amount in the bank account, just in case? Well, I think the just-in-caseness is a problem, you know, because it's like, well, when you've got an abundance, then supply their need. You know, I, I really think the giving the first century was to the need anyway. Um, I understand that in practical terms, you know, with me, you know, I have some bills that come due at certain times of the month. And, uh, you know, if I was getting paid weekly, I, I get paid monthly, but if I get paid weekly, then it might be this week I had some extra money, but I really need to apply that to the bill that's coming due next week. So I understand that from an operating standpoint, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of a cushion just to be able to, you know, it can't be just you spend everything every week because then something comes due and you've got to have the money for that and you're giving for that. Even here, they're accumulating the money to be able to send. It's not wrong to accumulate money for a purpose. But but to just feel like, well, I don't know about this. What would happen if I did? Well, what would happen? Maybe God would take care of this. Maybe somebody would send to us. Winston. <laughs> I think we need to be generous with needs. That's that's a complicated issue for us sometimes. Um, in various ways. But but when there are needs that brethren have, we need to help. 
Um, I'm not saying by that that I favor this recommendation system for preacher support in other countries. I don't think that's very helpful. Uh, but I do think wherever the need is, we give and we share. Um, what was the question? Um, what about the needs in other countries? Okay, other thoughts. Okay, um, well, okay, so in practical terms, Paul's sending some people to Corinth to try to stir up a generous collection. So uh, let's talk about that a minute, 16 to 24. But thank three people. And uh, look at those three people. So, thanks be to God, verse 16, who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. Um, that's an interesting thing to see. Now, Titus wanted to come back. That's his point. Paul didn't have to talk him into it. He didn't have to coerce him. And he wants to go back. He wants to see the Corinthians. But, but who made Titus want to go back? Thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. I think we struggle to say those things. But that's what God said. That's what Paul said. He was inspired by God to say, God put this desire to, to go back to you in Titus's heart. Why are we reluctant to give God the credit even for the good desires of people's hearts? Now, I understand that people sometimes blame God for things he didn't do. <laughs> like when the man told David, God's giving Saul into your hand to kill him when he was in that cave. Or Saul said, God's giving David over into our hand when he was shut up in the walled city of Keilah. There are times when we may say, God's responsible for something that's not God's dealing at all. But when it's the desire to care about brethren and go back and see them, who put that, who, who else would put it into his heart? It was the Lord. So I think we don't need to be reluctant to acknowledge that and to give God the credit for that. He says he not only accepted our appeal, but he, being himself very earnest, he was going to do of his own accord. It wasn't really us. I mean, we wanted to go. But he was eager. He's doing it because he wants to. You know, I didn't have to try to talk him into it. He, he was eager to go and see you again. He loves you so much. So this is really kind of, by saying this, it sort of strengthens Titus's hand in completing this project. You know, that, that them knowing how much he loves them and wants to be there with them is going to make them love him. And he said, now we said along with him, the brother whose fame and the things of the gospel is spread through all the churches. I don't know who that brother was. I call him the famous brother because his fame is spread through all the churches. So that's good enough for me. Um, and so he's, he's sending him. Now, why is he sending him? He says, He's been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work. Basically, how Paul was administering this collection is every church that gave would select their own mailman, their own delegate to take their money. You know, Paul could have just gone church to church and said, okay, thank you very much, and just keep chuffing it in his pocket. Paul is not chuffing this money in his pocket. He's letting the churches pick their own delegates to send. You know why? 
He said, taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. That's kind of a little, this is going to be a generous gift. It's going to be generous enough. He doesn't want, you know, it's going to look bad if he put all this money they're going to give in his pocket. For we have regard to what's honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Paul is eager to be transparent above board. And there's no area where that's more needed, perhaps, than in dealing with money. So Paul is very careful. Paul doesn't handpick the, the, the messengers. They do. They, 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 they pick them. And uh, because Paul wants to be honest. Not just be honest, but look like he's honest. Be honest in the sight of men. I don't think if Paul chucked all that money in his pocket, he would have taken any of it for himself. But he sure could have opened himself up to that accusation. The point is that while well, I am honest, we'll look like it. Show yourself honest before men. You know, we should take every step to put ourselves above the possibility of being suspected, of suspicion and misinterpretation. There's a Chinese proverb that says, in a field of melons, don't stop to tie your shoes. (laughs) You know, I mean, you know, be, be honorable in the sight of men. So practical. You know, most of us are in churches where there's some kind of a pooling of resources um, to do our work. Um, And probably somebody takes care of that money. I mean, a lot of churches, they give him a title. He's the treasurer or something like that. Well, it's really important that these people who are dealing with the money do it really openly, really transparently, and really prove themselves to be honest, right? Because like, what happens if, okay, money's given on Sunday, the guy chucks it in his pocket, takes it home and counts it. And uh, then he writes out checks or gives money whenever it's needed, and that's pretty much it. So every once in a while people say, uh, well, you know, how are we doing with money? We're doing okay. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, there's no accounting. I mean, there's no auditing. I mean, is he being honest? Is he got a bunch of money? Is he using the money himself? I mean, how do you know? I mean, I think it's helpful if a variety of people count the money and sign it. And, and there's, there's a record of that somewhere. I think it's helpful if some brethren audit the books once in a while. And just, you know, there's... We do some bad stuff. I, I know of various situations that are really troubling. Of like guys who take care of the money, who like they borrow. Yeah, I know. You know, I, I knew about a situation where a guy started borrowing. The treasurer did. He borrowed so much he couldn't pay it back, and then he, it was so easy he just kept borrowing for many, many years. It was a disaster when it was finally discovered. Because it, wow, that's not transparent. You know, we need to be really, really careful on monetary things to be very transparent. You know, what would happen, you know, if somebody said, I think he's taken this money. I don't think he's been honest. Well, I have. How does anybody know you are? Are there some safeguards in place that protect your reputation as well as protect protect the honesty of the process. So Paul's very concerned to be honest and to appear honest. I think that's a lesson we need in churches a lot of times as we're dealing with these things. And uh, then he's also sending him, in verse 22, sending them, the brother who we've often tested and found diligent in many things, and even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. I call him the diligent brother. So we've got Titus, the famous brother, and the diligent brother. It's a good quality, by the way, to be diligent. He recommends that a lot in Second Corinthians and other writings. And he says, Titus, he's our my partner and fellow worker. It's for the brethren, their messengers, the churches. So these two people he's sending have been appointed by the churches, literally apostles of the churches, but apostles in the sense of messenger. That's what an apostle meant. And uh, so they're coming. He says, show them openly the proof of your love and our reason for boasting about you. Make sure that they understand why we're so proud of you by giving generously. So Paul's kind of like sending this advanced team to Corinth. 
uh, Titus, the famous brother and the diligent brother, to kind of arrange for this collection and make sure it's generous like it needs to be. Thoughts and comments? Yes. very careful, accurate, precise. Everything we do to give transparency safeguards us, both our heart and our reputation. Jason. In Ezra uh, 8, we see Ezra laying out his money to our Yeah, Ezra, where they weighed out the gifts and then weighed them again when they got to Jerusalem so that it was transparent. So everything added up. Nobody could say somebody, you know, converted it unlawfully to their own uh, use and so forth. Yes. Good point. Other thoughts? Jake? Uh, I think if it depends on how we say that and what we're talking about. You know, there there would be ways of giving God blame for things he didn't do. So, you know, I'm in a miserable marriage and God put it in my heart to uh, start talking to this woman at work and he provided her for me to get me in a better situation. Obviously, that's not God. You know, because that's against God's will. So I shouldn't ever attribute to God something that obviously he doesn't want. Um, And I don't think I ought to use this deal of, well, why do you think this? Well, because God showed this to me in my heart. But it's not what the Bible says. I don't care. God showed it in my heart. Well, wait a minute. We know God reveals things through his word. I don't see us as gaining revelation. We don't gain information from what God puts in our heart. Now, brethren have good hearts, good qualities. They're diligent, they're generous, they're faithful, they're honest. I think we can attribute those things to God. God God put the honesty in their heart, He put the diligence, He put the love. I think we see that God is the one who provides those qualities. And so it's not a matter of, you know, I'm well, well, God gave me this hunch and I know it has to be right. Well, the only way I know what's right is His Word. But to attribute the fruit of the Spirit to the Spirit, to attribute the the good attitudes and the virtues to the Lord, yes, we ought to attribute that to the Lord. And I think it's perfectly appropriate for us to say what Paul said. Yes? We often talk about God, you know, having you know, the all-seeing eye. He sees everything. And He does. You know, you were mentioning the brother that had secretly taken uh, funds, uh, and we often talk about it. You know, when we're talking about simple things that God sees, all the sins that we do. Well, when it comes to generous giving, we can take comfort in the fact that you know when we're making a generous uh, offer, even when it's not obvious to our fellow brother that God sees that. God sees the good things that we do as well. Good point. Yeah. Other thoughts, Brian. In First Samuel 25, that that David says God sent Abigail to stop him. I think that's exactly right. Though Abigail may not have received some special revelation of the Lord, it is still the act of God, and he gives God the credit for that. Good point. Those are challenges for us. I realize that in the religious world, people abuse those things, but you know what we tend to do? We let abuses in the religious world drive us off of scriptural terminology and scriptural concepts. We must not do that. 
We need to still say what the Bible says, even if there's some people who misuse it. Joe. I think about the difference between Mulevala and Vieta. You remember the tremendous accounting yes. and no accounting in it. It leads to long-term ramifications. And so having diligent brethren like this that are very concerned and encourages the work to even go further. Yeah, just talking about in Mozambique, uh, some situations where we provided some resources for food and transportation for brethren to come to studies we were doing and in one place I asked for an accounting and I got like everything extremely rounded figures and just some things that were very troubling about that that did not seem to add up at all and no concern and another place where wow I mean I have never had so much accounting they I mean, every brother, where they came from, how far it was, what was given to them for the transportation, how they came, every dime that was spent on any food given in specific detail exactly what was bought and money given back to me that was left over. That was encouraging. That made me realize they were careful about that. In the first place, it's like... Uh, I don't. I don't believe the money was all even spent the way it was said to be, because it was the accounting was very, uh, very flawed. And so I, I think that that diligence to make accounts keeps us honest and helps us, and certainly helps us appear honest. Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. God, it would have been easy for God's name to have been denigrated by Paul not being careful with this. He'd already been accused of changing his travel plans and so forth. And that's exactly right. We need to appear honest. We need to take pains to, to be transparent. Jason. Can giving be harmful in some cases? Yes. Can giving be harmful in some cases? Yes, it can. We can give in ways that create dependence or that belittle, or that encourage people to be slothful. Um, yeah, there's there's certainly times to encourage people to do things for themselves, for example. And, and whether we're talking about monetary giving or other kinds, we're always trying to do the loving thing, the thing that will help people do better. Okay, we're going to take a break, and uh, then probably sing for a little bit when we come back. I think we'll try to sing it.